but yes, I guess I am a Nepo baby. Oh, yes, my God. mom is the, the PBS head. She's a big sphere. Round four. Welcome, fellow sleuths to another episode of Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our garage headquarters and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schuber. I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I'm safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. And on this episode of Meddling Adults, we will be covering mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series Encyclopedia Brown, and we have two wonderful guests. Let's meet those guests. First, you may know this person from College Humor Days. You may know this person from their headgum work. You may know them as the person who made the greatest half-court shot of all time. It's Amir Blumenfeld. Amir, how's it going? Are we recording video? Because I was going to pantomime shooting a basketball shot. Swish. The the video call is being recorded. I only use it maybe for social media promo clips, but maybe I'll use okay. this one just so all everyone right. saw. You had great form. So I would imagine now, that yeah. one went in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There. Did it. Thank that was you good. so much. Happy to be here. <laughs> I think it probably translated to the audio very well. Yeah, exactly. You can hear the... <laughs> Yeah. If you heard a swish in the distance, it's because he made the shot. Yeah. yeah. For those of you listening at home, I can, I'm here to tell you that he's on fire. <laughs> Elbow in, T with the thumbs, and then hold it as a follow through, mm-hmm. finger pointing towards the rim. Right. Gooseneck, pancake, got to get it all. Perfect form. Bingo. Perfect form. Dang. <laughs> this guy balls. He gets it. <laughs> oh, just, just a little bit <laughs> oh, yeah. from time to time. Yeah, Y'all right. ballers? This is my first time hearing all of this hot advice. I could have really used this. <laughs> well, every mystery today is about basketball. Oh, and let's meet our second guest. Our second guest is someone that you may know from. Oh, there. <laughs> they knew it. They just they knew. sense it like that. Gardeners <laughs> and home renovators. Fucking wait and listen to the perfect so moment. Sorry. Oh my God. Now, jackhammer. Now, leaf blower. Wait, hold, hold, hold. All right, he's getting the intro. Go, 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 go. Could not have been, couldn't have been worse. It's been quiet for hours. It's, oh, oh my God. What impeccable timing. That's Is so... this going to be ongoing? Good question. We'll see. And you don't know. It's I it's intermittent know. and maybe it's here and gone, know. but you just don't know. And you mm-hmm. can't ask because it's embarrassing because they're doing real work. They're doing actual work. And I'm, yes, and you're like, I'm on a show right now. Can you I'm guys talking keep it? about bullshit? Can you please? Yeah. At the very least, it is a show for charity. So it's at least more productive than just three this dudes. This is true shooting the stuff about Correct. Encyclopedia Brown for no benefit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. The, ooh. I mean, there's no way that's the only time they need to use that joke yeah. for the day. No, but no, let's, absolutely let's, get, not. let's at least get to the part where Ross has to talk. Let's meet our second guest. They are someone that you may know from the Improvised Shakespeare Company. You may have seen them on various game shows on Dropout. And this is a human being who did get a congratulatory pat on the back from Wayne Brady. It's Ross Bryant. Ross, how's it going? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, listing my, my most defining credits. Um, yes, I was... <laughs> I was blessed to be to be tapped on the back by the master. Wow. And you've never washed the sweater. It's just, you know, hanging framed with yes. a little, you know, pin showing this is where the backpack took place. Put that jersey in the rafters. Yeah. <laughs> See, I could do sports stuff too. Let's go. We're so ready for it. Now, 
Today, as I mentioned, we will be covering some mysteries from Encyclopedia Brown, and we will be doing so for charity. Because it's a charity podcast, I would love to hear what charities the two of you are playing for. So, Ross, which organization will you be playing for today? I am playing for Tusk, the Union Solidarity Coalition, a group uh, started by uh, folks in the WGA strike to support crew members affected by the ongoing WGA and SAG strikes, specifically to support crew members who have lost their health insurance during this time where we are all being affected by corporate greed. It's a way that we can help workers all the way across the line. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Amir, who are you going to be playing for today? I'm playing for the National MS Society, which helps people affected by MS. I'm sure if we don't know somebody personally, we all know people who are affected by this disease, and this helps people get the support they need. That's awesome. Two great organizations, and I'm very excited that one of the two will be winning. And if you're listening to the show and you want to learn about them, we'll have links to their websites in the episode description. Now, here's how the show is going to work. I will be recapping four quick mysteries from the children's novel series, Encyclopedia Brown. Neither of you have read or seen these ahead of time. I'll lay out all the clues. I'll ask for your accusations. And each correct guess of culprit will earn you points. There's also bonus points at stake, though. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, you will earn one Misery Loves Company bonus point. I say incorrect because usually I'm wrong. And then there's also bonus points at stake. So we mentioned Wayne Brady. It's kind of like whose line points, but they actually do matter for the score. So if there's a particularly wild guess or a very groan-inducing pun or any sort of thing that brings joy to me and I think to the listeners, we'll give a point. It's fine. Got an interesting world going on right now. So, you know, let's have some bonus points and have some fun. Sorry, you reward embarrassing puns with bonus points i mean look if it's a groaning pun and it works in the show and it doesn't feel too you know derailing we'll roll with it all right i feel like i'm gonna be the will chamberlain of this podcast (laughs) i I had no idea yeah actually if you want to talk about simpsons i have other groaning puns as well so we'll just let me know on that end too on the board. Mm. Unfortunately, I have seen exactly one episode of The Simpsons, and that is the NSYNC episode, because it is the one episode my parents let me watch as a kid. Let's go. So I'm <laughs> wow. sure other people got that joke, but I did not, unfortunately. But we'll see if we get them in the future. Of course. Now, if the score is tied at the end of these four rounds, we will break the tie with a sudden death riddle, but we'll see if it even comes to that. Before we get into the riddles and put the pedal to the metal, do either of you have experienced childhoods filled with doing children's mysteries? Either of you big Encyclopedia Brown, Scooby-Doo, Nancy Drew, Boxcar Children, anything like that? I'll answer first, just (laughs) so um, you can use my audio and it'll Mm -hmm. sound nice and interesting. Uh, Gosh, childhood mysteries. I mean... Don't we all have some involvement? I remember the Westing game in school. That was a big one, kind of formative mystery. It was like the whole crux of this story was that everybody's name actually had the cardinal direction in it. I'm not Mm. quite sure how that led to the mystery, but it was like Mr. Westing and Mrs. Southern and something Ah. Northrup or something like that. So I remember that as being pretty formative. Of course, watched Scooby-Doo. Uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns? Another great mystery. I thought that was um, also a big part of my childhood, Try to figure out who indeed shot Mr. Burns, which was, I guess, a reference to a, a, an old sitcom that I didn't watch, Dallas, Who Shot Jr. Mm-hmm. But that was another one that sort of took the nation by storm. And Clue, played a lot of Clue, watched the movie Clue, so that mm. was a big one for me. Uh, any other mysteries? I don't think so. What do you think, Ross? Good timing there. Um, <laughs> by the way, uh, 
mortified by this by this <laughs> turn of events. There's an enormous hole in my uh, ceiling right now in the other room. There, mm-hmm. It was raining inside several days ago. Um, repairs <laughs> are ongoing. But given the the nature of being a renter, and sometimes sometimes you don't know when people are going to show up, uh, <laughs> the intensity of the repairs that are going to be taking place. Is this to the level where you're like, I might have to dump this? I can maybe talk to them and see if I can put this on pause for a bit. We'll roll with it for now. And okay. I, especially I think now if that you lean silent. into talking, if you lean into talking when they're working less loudly, mm-hmm. then you can move in and out editing wise. <laughs> Thank you. The advice from the pros. So yes, <laughs> I was into mysteries as a kid. When I was in elementary school, I had an hour and a half long bus ride to and from school because I lived in a very rural part of Virginia. And so a lot of that time was spent making my way through the little school library. And much of that was Encyclopedia Browns. So I've burned through these books quite a bit. I will say that at the time, I don't know that I ever solved the mystery before (laughs) Mr. Brown. I was a real back page peeker. So um, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see how well my mystery solving skills have evolved in the intervening years. But also my mom was a big, big PBS head. So Mm. when we got a TV in the house, Thursday nights were mystery night. Diana Rigg was there queuing up Poirot. Edward Gorey animations were imprinting themselves on my young mind. And I was really into just the vibes of those David Suchet Poirot episodes. So those are the big mysteries of my youth. I love it. I love it. Also, by you saying that your mom was a big PBS head, I am just imagining that your mother is the PBS logo that is in the shape of a head. And yeah. she's just, you know, kind of bouncing around. I didn't want to brag or name drop her. Or, <laughs> but yes, I guess I am a Nepo baby. Oh, yes, God. my mom is the, the PBS head. She's a big sphere. And, um, my mom's actually a big PBS head head. She's a huge fan oh, of the cool. PBS head. Whoa, yeah. whoa. Yeah. So I guess our parents are fans of each other. That's yeah, really cool. And I have been brought to you by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Incredible. <laughs> Look at all these connections. Well, and the Annenberg Trust. Mm, let's get into our first mystery then. The first mystery of this Encyclopedia Brown battle is called The Case of the Gym Bag. Now, Encyclopedia Brown and his father go to the local Idaville High School to watch a track meet. It's Idaville versus Glen City. Now, one of the racers is named, and just the names in Encyclopedia Brown are always fantastic. The names in some of these mysteries I've picked out today are just ultimate chef's kiss. So the two racers we are concerned with are Idaville's top runners, Baldy Jones and Fleet Fletcher, which are just fantastic names in general, specifically for racing if your first name is Fleet. Baldy shaves his head, true to his name, before every meet because he believes it makes him run faster and it makes him more aerodynamic. Baldy and Fleet are always neck and neck in these track meets. They're usually coming first and second, some order, they're rivals. After the track meet is over, Encyclopedia Brown and his dad, Chief Brown, are leaving when they hear Baldy and Fleet yelling at each other in the locker room. So apparently, these two are fighting about a gym bag. Fleet Fletcher sees Chief Brown and tells him to arrest Baldy Jones for stealing his stamp collection. Baldy says to Fleet, I'll stamp you. It'll be a very rare stamp, one that'll send you to outer space. I'm assuming stamp is just like, I'm going to punch you so hard you're going to go to the moon. Fleet replies, you just try. You'll be sending me postcards from Jupiter and Mars. How is he going to get from Jupiter to Mars? Is he going to get punched a second time? I need to know the logistics of the comeback here. I think it has to do with the 
gravitational pull of the larger planet. Actually, mm. let me solve this mystery. Yeah, I think he might be trying <laughs> to punch him into a satellite orbit around Mars <laughs> where he will be whipped uh, out of orbit. Slingshot, yeah. And slingshot to the center of our solar system. <laughs> Some really next level uh, astronomical trash talk from Fleet Fletcher, was it? So, yes, that was Fleet's reply to Baldy Jones. So he got quite scientific with it. So Chief Brown breaks up this fight and asks Fleet to explain his side of the story first. Fleet says that he took a shower and he changed and then he had left his gym bag on the bench when he went into the coach's office to talk about the meet. When he came out of the coach's office, he saw Baldy Jones leaving the locker room carrying that gym bag. Baldy says that the gym bag is his and that Fleet is lying because Fleet Fletcher knew that Baldy had his stamp collection, which is worth lots of money, in his bag today. Chief Brown then asks Fleet Fletcher if he can prove that the bag is his. Fleet says that he is unable to. There's like an ID tag in the bag, but he hasn't put his name in it. And Baldy basically gives the same excuse when Chief Brown asks him about it. And when they ask him about the whole stamp collection thing, Fleet says that he told some people that he was going to the stamp store after the track meet to sell his collection because there's a renowned stamp collector in town, because that's what you do in Idaville, Florida, and he is interested in some of Fleet's rare stamps. Chief Brown decides, okay, let's go through the bag and we'll see what's inside. So he takes out the following contents. A stamp collection in a plastic folder, a damp towel, some soap, some deodorant, some hair gel, and a pair of socks. Fleet then looks at the clock, sees that it's 4.30. He says the stamp collector's leaving at 5 and he's not going to make it. Chief Brown says, we have to figure out whose bag this is so we can't hand over the contents until we identify the owner. But Encyclopedia Brown steps up, saying that he knows the bag belongs to Fleet. So I turn it over to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that it was Fleet's bag and not Baldy's bag? I have a theory, but I'll let Ross go first. He raised his finger. (laughs) Oh, um, yeah, that, that, w- <laughs> the patented method of buzzing in, but also we yes, have the yes. honor code system here. So if you two have the same guess, that is totally fine. I believe that, you know, you could have arrived at the same solution and you're not going to copy. That was a torrent of information coming at me. And I, I raised my finger maybe just as a gesture of, of trying to cram it all into my head more as like, I ha- I'm on the case. Feel free to ask any question of double checking, because if you're confused, the listener's confused and I'm happy to go back over any detail. Okay, the detective in me is like, it seems like it's the contents of the bag, right? Something in there is is tipping us off. Sure. I can reread those. It was a stamp collection in a plastic folder, a damp towel, Mm -hmm. a bar of soap, a thing of deodorant, a tube of hair gel, and a pair of socks. I mean, again, (laughs) I don't want to step on Ross, but I feel (laughs) like- Kick it, kick it, spit yourself. I mean, one is bald, the other guy's got hair, and the contents of the bag are for people with hair. The dampness of the towel, he's drying his hair. The hair gel, I mean- That was a little too on the nose, but seemingly belongs to a haired man and not a baldsman. Is that fair to say? That's right. Baldsman's no have hair for the gelling, Mm -hmm. unless unless he's doing some very unorthodox manscaping. Yes. (laughs) A pubic gel. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Amir's guess locked in. Ross, did you have a different guess or? I think I got a ride on Amir's coattails on this one. I think that's the guess I would have too. That the, mm-hmm. uh, the hair gel is a dead giveaway. Are you wearing hair gel right now? Me? Yeah, it looks like your hair is perfectly gelled. A little crispy? Yeah. No, uh, this is what they call a sea salt spray. Mm, interesting. Keeping it nice and moist. For folks with fine hair, it's in order, you got to fight the frizz, my friend. Ah. I embrace the frizz. 
Frizzier the better. Fight the Frizz is my favorite Public Enemy song. <laughs> you gotta fight the Frizz that be. Nice. Um, yeah, so yeah, I have groomed no baldy me. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, yeah, it's gotta be that hair gel is the, the crux. And for Honor System, were you thinking that before Amir said it or did Amir say it and then Absolutely you went, oh yeah, not. me too. Okay. Amir cracked this case. <laughs> okay, well, I am happy to say that that is correct. Amir, you have cracked the case. It was, in fact, the fact that Baldy doesn't need hair gel or at least, and you know, wouldn't seem so with the top of his head hair. That is what happened. My guess, my incorrect guess, I thought the damp towel was the giveaway because, you know, he had said, I thought he had said he'd taken the shower or whatever, the damp towel. And I was like, if you're going to put the damp towel in the bag with the stamps, with the stamps like that doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Like, something's got to be going on there. Yeah. Yeah. That popped up in my head also. We're like something <laughs> right there. Yeah. yeah. But that was just a red herring. Yep. A red herring or a wet herring. But regardless. Nice. Amir is up 3-0. But you, you can't put your wet towel in with your stamps. That's a rookie philatelist move. Oh, okay. Giving you a point because I did not know. Is that the official name of a stamp collector? <laughs> I believe so. Philatelist? Isn't that, aren't there? Th- I said stamp enthusiasts. I'm looking it up and it's seashell collecting. No, he used it incorrectly. Oh. No, I'm just joking. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> All right, bonus point for knowing that. But yeah, it just feels weird to put the damp towel in. Like you're going to mess up the stamps. You're going to mess up your socks that are in there. Just like a very weird decision. Maybe even the deodorant will get musty. Very strange. But now at the end of round one, the score is three to one in favor of Amir. We can get into our second case now, which is called the case of the headless ghost. So that was a whole story for kids, like 12 chapters, 180 pages. No, you just so. Sort of compressed it into four sentences that's a four volume collection actually that was 1200 pages (laughs) thankfully encyclopedia brown books have 10 mysteries per book and each of mysteries like four or five pages so in this particular case my producer sherry went through and kind of recapped it and then we've got the bullet point descriptions based off of those it's perfect formatting for the show i am slowly running out of them because there are only like 30 books and yeah it does make it tougher when i do stuff on the show for like longer things that's why i only did one episode of a Nancy Drew thing because you'll read like a hundred page book and then on page 85 you'll be like oh this isn't going to work for the podcast (laughs) I've wasted four (laughs) hours of my life (laughs) it's tough it's tough when you don't have a salary where you you know you can't do one of those things where like ah it's okay still you know got no mm -mm. yeah (laughs) no no work done Amir got me in my head philatelist is the name of someone who collects (laughs) let's go (laughs) Uh, let's go and and in case anyone was wondering numismatist is someone who collects coins wow They have the okay. I feel Bunch like of dorks. <laughs> I feel two yeah. different words for being AKA a dork. Dweebs. <laughs> <laughs> if they went by those names, though, that sounds way cooler than coin collector, stamp collector. Like that's that's, that's why they made the names. Mm, yeah, they made oh. the names to sort of hide their hobby. Uh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we'll get into case number two, which is the case of the headless ghost. And again, some solid names. A kid in Idaville named straight up Davy Jones stops by Encyclopedia Brown's house. Davy Jones, of course, is super into pirates, and he is wearing an eye patch and a bandana around his head. He's waving a pirate flag, and he's doing so because he loves pirates, but also Idaville, Florida, which is the fictional town in which Encyclopedia Brown lives. It is a coastal town in Florida, so they have a big, long-established pirate history, according to the narrator, and I believe the narrator. Davy Jones tells Encyclopedia Brown that there is a ghost treasure that Encyclopedia Brown is missing out on. He explains that old cutthroat Flint's ghost is haunting Idaville. Cutthroat Flint was a pirate in the 1800s, and his ship was called the Scurvy Serpent. Just, oh, banger after banger of name. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he buried his booty before sailing away. 
He was notoriously mean, and thus his crew had a mutiny against him, and they beheaded him. Yes, this is a children's book. Legend says that his body is sailing around looking for his head, and the treasure has never been found. Now, the town bully in the Encyclopedia Brown books, Bugs Meany, he apparently has captured the ghost and is selling for kids around the town peeks at the ghost. You can pay 10 cents to look through the window at a ghost and you can pay a whole quarter to talk to the ghost. And this is the current scam being run by Bugs Meany. This is the movie Talk to Me, but written 50 years prior or something. Well, what's wild is that though the Encyclopedia Brown books were started in like the 60s, the author Donald J. Sobel kept writing them until he passed. These ones that I'm using for this episode come from Encyclopedia Brown 27, which came out in like the late aughts. Wow. But what's great is he always keeps like the same inflation like it's frozen like encyclopedia brown still solves mystery just for a quarter and things don't really get more modern they're like forever feeling like they're in the 60s but this one is more recent it's like peanuts yeah garfield right right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so davy jones says that bugs knows that the ghost is cutthroat because the ghost is headless Davy wants to ask Cutthroat where the treasure is buried. Encyclopedia Brown asks how the ghost will tell him that if the ghost doesn't have a mouth since it doesn't have a head. So overall, Encyclopedia Brown is skeptical. So he decides to go with Davy to Bugs Meany's clubhouse. His gang of hooligans is called the Tigers. So they're going to the Tigers clubhouse and they're going to see what's up. Davy doesn't have a quarter to pay Encyclopedia Brown for this mystery, so he pays him with a candy bar, just an unnamed candy bar, because I guess they couldn't get any brand clearance. (laughs) When they get to the clubhouse, they hear screeches and moans and loud groans, and then someone, Melissa Chambers, runs past screaming about the ghost. This character does not need to be named at all, but... Still got full first name, last name, name dropped. I wonder if the author had some sort of beef against a Melissa Chambers in his life. (laughs) (laughs) Or a crush on one. Ooh, maybe. Can't get that name out of his head. I made you the scared girl. Do you like me now? Circle yes or no. (laughs) There is a crowd of kids lined up to see the ghost. Bugs and his right-hand man, Duke Kelly, are standing in front of a closed door, and they have a curtain covering the window. Encyclopedia Brown and Davy Jones get in line, and then eventually they get to the front of the line. Bugs Meany tells them that the ghost doesn't have a head and it's wearing a tiger's t-shirt to show that it does have a body. And there's a kid, one in front of them in line, named Fang's Liverite. Fang's Liverite is scared after he looks through. Davy Jones is too nervous to look through, but Encyclopedia Brown says, I know this is fake, I'm going to prove you're lying, so he's going to go through. Bugs asks Encyclopedia Brown, are you brave enough to go inside and face the ghost you don't believe in, or are you too chicken-hearted? And then the ghost says, quote, fetch my cat of nine tails. I've got a couple of landlubbers to be teaching a lesson. Encyclopedia Brown pays a quarter to talk to the ghost. Bugs and Duke shove him into the closet, and they close the door behind him. Encyclopedia Brown sees the white tiger's t-shirt without a head and asks about the treasure. Encyclopedia Brown looks around the shed. He swats a fly that lands on his head. The ghost then asks him, what that you be hiding in your hand? A trick? Encyclopedia Brown says it's a candy bar. The ghost then reaches out and snatches the candy bar out of Encyclopedia Brown's hand. And then Bugs and Duke pull Encyclopedia Brown out of this closet because his time is up. And then Encyclopedia Brown demands that Bugs refund everyone because he knows the ghost is a fake. So I turn it to the two of you. What was the giveaway? That the ghost was a fake he says he has definitive proof to prove that this is not actually a ghost and again i can recap any sort of i have a theory 
but Ross, yeah. again, <laughs> I went first last time. So please, if you got a theory, <laughs> go for it. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. He goes in, mm-hmm. proceeding going in, they're threatened with the cat of nine tails. Mm-hmm. He goes in, sees the tiger t-shirt, sans head. He swats a fly. That was my quarter. <laughs> um, and then he's asked what's in his hand, a trick. No, a candy bar. <laughs> Thus, proof is established. <laughs> I've been paying people in fucking candy bars since I got here. He, instead of a wallet, he says like a Hershey's bar that he peels off and like <laughs> yeah. tips people with it. It's a little Hershey's like equivalent of a wad. Yeah. <laughs> Just tucking it, melting in people's front pockets as he's tipping valets. Bribing people, yeah. handing them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't eat it all in one place. place. Yeah. <laughs> you got chocolate on my fucking wrist. God. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that there's a... Okay, clearly this ghost is can see somewhat. <laughs> well that's my theory so, yeah is yeah he, he notices mm. the the um my theory is that this guy doesn't have a head or eyes or a brain and then said give me that candy bar so it's like yeah that's not a headless ghost yeah. the ghost has a head so thus it's not really a headless ghost all right all right amir's guess is locked in mm-hmm. i mean I, that, that's where i'm what i'm getting at as well it's like yeah we're noticing these things I guess un- unless you're doing that with some sort of supernatural force, I don't. <laughs> clearly, he has the powers of speech as well. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's my guess also. Right. Lot, I mean, a lot is very suspicious about this scenario. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, ghosts aren't real. Is that a yeah, reason? That's, that's so it'd be like, oh, by the way, I know it's fake because ghosts aren't real. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. But this, <laughs> nice. Um, this, uh, that's my theory as well. I, he's, right. He sees something in his hand and references it. Well. I am happy to say you both did earn the Misery Loves Company bonus point because that was my incorrect guess. But the actual truth, according to Encyclopedia Brown, is that the ghost grabbed the candy bar and ghosts can't grab candy bars. Poltergeists can. So it's not the ghost. Poltergeists are the type of ghost that can uh, move things, not ghosts. So it's not the ghost because it grabbed the candy bar. (laughs) So the last mystery was very much about one's keen powers of perception and noticing Mm -hmm. like details that others might miss. Whereas this one is about like nickel and diming and hair splitting the type of specter, spook, ghoulie or goblin this was. And thus the full... Alpha and Omega of Encyclopedia Brown has been encapsulated into mystery. <laughs> Got it. So some are actual mysteries and some are random. <laughs> yeah. One are the definitions of words we don't actually know or care about. If I said, oh, I know the answer is because only poltergeists can touch candy bars. Would you assume I was cheating or did you, would you think I figured it out? I would just think you were whatever the fancy word is of a ghost dweeb, as we've established before. Oh, like I knew about all the definitions about different levels of ghosts. You just a, like Yeah, that. just a big Spookhead. Look, I dropped philatelist earlier, so we've already <laughs> we've already um shown that Amir is possible. That Amir is the guy who's like keen with deductive reasoning, and I'm the word dork. And so really, <laughs> this was a layup for me. So that's egg on my face. It's okay. Strategically, I usually put the most confusing one at second so that we can end on two fun good notes after the break. So let's end on two good fun notes after the break, and we'll get into the two final mysteries.
fellow sleuths, welcome to the first mid-roll break of Season 4B of Meddling Adults. I realize we don't have a name for this mid-roll break yet, and it was so obvious to me when I thought, well, what could the name be? Clearly, we should call it Middling Adults. We're in the middle of the episode. Welcome to Middling Adults. If you think that's too silly of a name, I hate to bring it to you. I took the podcast fully independent last year, so I'm calling the shots, and boom, baby, it's Middling Adults. Here we are. If this is your first episode of Meddling Adults, hello. I hope you are enjoying it so far, and I bet you're going to enjoy the rest of it. Whatever brought you here, Thank you. And in the mid-roll break, I will just talk about updates with the show, what you can expect for the season. Sometimes some sponsors will be in the mix. All of the stuff goes to charity. The sponsorship proceeds, the Patreon proceeds, all of that goes to charity. We split it evenly amongst the winning charities at the end of the season. So that will encapsulate the five episodes that were the beginning of season four and the five episodes to come in the second half of season four. If you do want to join in our charitable efforts, there's two two main ways to do so financially. First, you can go to patreon.com slash meddling adults. There you can join. The money is used to cover expenses and then all the proceeds go to charity. You also get some cool perks. You can get bonus audio. You will get the episodes early and ad free. We'll put your name on the website. If you give it the highest tier, we'll thank you in the final episode of the season. Lots of good stuff at patreon.com slash meddling adults. If giving a monthly amount isn't your style or doesn't fit into your financial plan right now, but you still want to support financially, you can go to paypal.me slash meddling adults and give a one-time donation. And if you still want to support in a non-monetary way, first and foremost, you are doing so because we run ads on episodes of Meddling Adults and all the ad money goes to the charities as well. So literally just by listening to the podcast, you are helping to raise money for charity. But on top of that, tell someone about the show because anyone who downloads an episode is going to help raise money for charity. So you can tell a friend about it. You can tell them directly via a text message, an email, a message of sorts on a social media platform. You can just post about it on social media. You could leave us a rating and review on your preferred podcasting app. Anything where you spread the good word of your show, talk to your family about it at family dinner, whatever it is, that will help the podcast grow. And then any download is going to bring in some more money for charities. So simply by spreading the good word of the podcast, you will put some good into the world. Now, we do have a whole backlog of episodes of Meddling Adults that you can listen to. But if you're all caught up on the show and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, I make a whole bunch of podcasts as an independent podcast boy. One of the ones I think you would enjoy is called The Newest Olympic. This is a podcast where I'm going through the Percy Jackson books for the very first time with a rotating cast of guests who are Percy Jackson superfans and experts. And I am on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've been sleeping on as a society. Should it have more love? Currently, we are just wrapping up book five of the main series. I will say these books are very good and I'm having a very good time. You can listen to me and a whole bunch of other lovely people gab about the books at thenewestolympian.com or by searching for The Newest Olympian in your podcasting app of choice. Now, before we get back to the rest of the episode, you'll hear a few ads. Those ads do help raise money for charity. Some of the ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. And I have some control over the sponsorships, but sometimes weird, sketchy sponsors slip through. So if that's the case, please shoot an email to meddlingadults at gmail.com and I will get it squashed. But after those quick ads, we'll get back to the final two mysteries of this episode of Meddling Adults. All right, and we're back, and we're here for mystery number three. This case is called The Case of the Vanished Sculpture. Now, 
this is one of the standard formats of Encyclopedia Brown Mysteries. There's some repeating ones where once per book you'll have one of these. We just did a Bugs Meanies trying to screw over the town one. This one is a Encyclopedia Brown's dad who is the chief of police can't figure out a case on his own. So he goes home and talks to his 11-year-old son and his 11-year-old son does his job. So that's the mystery we're getting into today. Just the police of Idaville, canonically not good at their jobs. A real Chief Wiggums situation. Mm. You'll get to that when you watch another episode. You're going to love it. Okay, I do know that. I'm going to give you the bonus point there as sort of a, uh, I did get that one and I missed the other one that I'm sure was a great joke. <laughs> so okay. you now have- The other one was just the creator of The Simpsons, which you really should know ah, without watching the episode. I probably This one's about a specific character and okay. you knew it. So yeah. now I don't know what to think. I think the thing was Chief Wiggum was in that NSYNC episode, so. That's what it must have been. Maybe, maybe you just <laughs> haven't seen it. Maybe you're just a big Life in Hell fan. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Another whoosh. <laughs> big, big Akbar and Jeff uh, stand. Yes. The Fez. Yeah. A big Fez enthusiast. <laughs> so the case of the Venice sculpture starts with Chief Brown being stumped about a museum theft case. So yes, we've got a museum heist on our hands. There was a small sculpture of the Roman god Mercury in the Idaville Museum, and it was recently stolen. The robbery took place a few hours after the museum had closed. The museum has security cameras and an alarm system, but the cameras were turned off after the museum closed, which feels like not a smart decision if you have cameras. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand the museum. Yeah. I got a critique for the for the, <laughs> this, um, I feel like the Thomas Crown would like not steal from this place because it was a bit too easy. Oh. Yeah. I just, there's no thrill in it. Yeah. The alarms didn't ring because three employees were still working inside and it seems to have been an inside job. I see. The three people who were working are the curator of the antiquity section, the security guard and the janitor. But of course, all three say that they're innocent. Mm. Encyclopedia Brown first notes that the curator would know how valuable the particular statue is. So that's some initial suspicions that he's got there. Chief Brown says that the curator told him that it was worth $100,000, but that he doesn't know how to turn off the security cameras. So it can't be him. Encyclopedia Brown says that it also could have easily been the security guard. He would be the person familiar with turning off the cameras. He wouldn't have known they were off. So maybe he went in. Chief Brown says, though, that they dusted for fingerprints in the control room and it was clean. The janitor claims that he knows nothing about art and that is his alibi. Why would I steal it? I don't know anything. The problem is that all of these three suspects also have alibis for each other in addition to having their own reasons for why they're innocent. So the security guard saw the curator working in his office and waved hello to him. And the security guard also saw the janitor mopping the floors. The security guard and the curator both saw the janitor wheeling the mop pail away when he was done mopping with the mop over his shoulder and the floors completely cleaned, and he also waved to them. I love that they established that they all waved to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Just such a nice little office we've got here. Now, the police can't make any arrests unless they think that they're all working together, but they don't think that that's the case. The other museum employees besides these three were interviewed, but no other suspicions really came up. So mainly they're trying to focus on what these three said. And Encyclopedia Brown already knows who's guilty, says you don't need to question them any further. Wow. And he knows who stole the statue. So I turn it to the two of you. Who's the thief and how did he know? My, my greatest fear is coming to pass and that this podcast is making me feel extra dumb um, <laughs> but I, um, 
Are you smarter than a fifth grader? The answer, no. <laughs> and mine is that my attention span didn't let me pay attention for that full story. Yeah. I ran out of steam three mysteries deep into yeah. a 31 minute podcast. The French braid of of um alibis really, really yeah. lost me there. Yeah. Let me let me I'll redo it. I'll redo it. So Okay, okay. I'll, and I'll Let's even start the, from their individual things. Let's hear everybody's alibi. Yeah, okay. so here's starting from the beginning. We've got the curator saying that he doesn't know how to turn off the security cameras, so it couldn't be him. Okay. We've got the security guard who, he didn't say this himself, but Chief Brown said that they didn't have any fingerprints on the control room. And then the janitor, he says about himself, I don't know anything about art. Then for each other, you have the security guard who saw the curator working in his office. They waved at each other. Mm -hmm. The security guard saw the janitor mopping the floors. When he was done mopping, both the security guard and the curator saw the janitor wheeling the mop pail away and he had his mop kind of over his shoulder and the floors were clean and then he waved to the two of them. This is some like farmer bringing the okay. chicken over but not leaving the wolf or something. Right. I know. It's the bag of grain, the fox and the, and the wolf. We got to get <laughs> Yeah, away. exactly. I remember these kind of logic puzzles from school. It's like, Jane likes ice cream, but not hot <laughs> yeah. dogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I'll, I'll, here's a pitch. Okay. Why did he have the mop over his shoulder after walking the floors? Wouldn't it be sopping wet? Mm. Maybe he's concealed the statue in the mop bucket. Okay. Mm. A good theory. Mm. Amir, do you have a guess? Uh, lack of fingerprints. Guy cleaned up the fingerprints or something like that. Maybe okay. it was two of the three, so it wasn't all three, but it wasn't just one of them. Mm -hmm. All right. But I can't quit. I need to like write this down, which I'm obviously not going to do. Who has the time for that? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I'm happy to say that you are both getting points, but Amir, you are getting the Misery Loves Company bonus point. Ross, you nailed it 100%. Oh, that is wow. exactly it. Whoa. Right. The mop over the shoulders, it would have been a wet mop. So very wow. strange. And the reveal is Encyclopedia Brown basically says, bring me his mop bucket. And in the mop bucket is the statue. So he put the statue <laughs> in, in the there. bucket. I th yeah, I guess they like hadn't left yet. Uh, but or maybe that wasn't it. Maybe I'm editorializing. I don't think that actually happened. <laughs> but it would have been cool if he did a dramatic reveal. But yeah, basically Encyclopedia Brown knew, oh, he put it in there. Why would he not put the wet mop in the mop bucket? It's because it was filled with something else. There you go. I was on your line of thinking, though, Amir. I thought... If it's a control room and they're pushing buttons and stuff, surely there'll be fingerprints yeah. all over that place. Like, yeah. what kind of security right. camera? Like, they said they turned them off, so there should at least have been a fingerprint on the off button. So I thought it was actually, like, the janitor and he cleaned it up because he cleans stuff. Uh, or it could have been the security guard cleaning it up. So that was exactly my thought. Yeah. So Weird. Amir gets one point. Ross gets three. Amir, you got a slight lead six to five. Oof. We're ready. Holy shit. I know. It's a... Uh, it's a barn burner here. It's a tight Ooh, baby. one. I'm glad I got one. Redemption. Redemption. <laughs> yes. You can ride high. I'm going to let Ross go first. <laughs> Ross is going first next time. And if he gets it right, I'll be like, yeah, I was thinking of that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here is. Of course, the mop. <laughs> <laughs> so here's our final mystery. This is the case of the home run hitter. So another person in town with a great name, Chip Caswell, comes to Encyclopedia Brown and Encyclopedia Brown's junior partner, Sally Kimball, who helps himself crime some time. Chip likes collecting baseball souvenirs, including ticket stubs, baseball cards, signed baseballs, bats, caps, etc. He explains to Encyclopedia Brown and Sally that a new sports museum is opening up in Idaville. I hope they have better security than the art museum. Mm -hmm. And there is a spot in the main hall that will be filled with something that a kid from town donates. 
So Chip is seeking advice from Encyclopedia Brown and Sally Kimball on what he should donate to make sure he gets picked. So I guess Encyclopedia Brown, true to his first name, should also know exactly what baseball thing is worthy of donating. So now he's just like a memorabilia appraiser. Yeah, I mean, they do establish in the first book that they call him Encyclopedia Brown because he knows everything. And I Mm. think we got to get back into that nickname era, like especially in basketball. Like we used to have cool nicknames where it's like George Gervin was the Iceman. Why? Because he's cool. Correct. Like we need to get more nicknames that are not initial based or, you know, clever plays on the players names or numbers. Like we just got to get back to straight up like, oh, he's good at this. So we call him the that. And then. Right. Yeah. Like I wish we knew the in the previous mystery, the security guard's name is probably Flashlight in the janitor's. (laughs) His name is probably Broom. (laughs) Broom Johnson. (laughs) Broom Johnson. In the universe of Idaville, everyone has just a noun for their. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever the. What's the phenomenon where like you live up to whatever your name is? Like if your last name is Painter, you're more likely to become like an artist of sorts. Like it's one of those. It's de- it's I think nominative determinism. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone in Idaville's got wow. nominative determinism. Yes. Okay, now Chip needs advice from them. They say, well, let's go to the museum and we'll try to see if there's some other stuff that they're already putting in there, and we'll figure out what you can do. They see someone who just has shockingly a very normal name, Sammy Jackson. Sammy Jackson is at the museum. Get him. He's not from Idaville. (laughs) (laughs) He's from out of town. He's from Glen City. No way. So Sammy Jackson is a member of the Tigers, which is Bugs Meany's gang of hooligans. So we don't necessarily want to trust them. And if you don't take my word for it, you can take the narrator's word for it. The narrator says, quote, about the Tigers. They were slippery. The truth wouldn't stick to them if you pasted it on with a bucket of glue. Hmm. Mm. Now, Sammy says that all the other kids left when they found out what Sammy was ready to donate to the museum. He takes out a box and opens it, showing Chip, Encyclopedia Brown, and Sally Kimball a baseball sitting on a velvet cushion. And he says that it was a Babe Ruth home run baseball. Sammy asks Encyclopedia Brown... If he would confirm, I guess for the reader, if they don't know who Babe Ruth is, he's basically like, you know, Babe Ruth is a big deal, right? He hit 714 home runs in his career. And it's like Peter Brown, because he knows everything goes. Yes, that is true. So I guess that's for the uh, the non-sports heads out there. Sammy also does note that Babe Ruth was famous for eating a lot of hot dogs before each game, which is true. Sammy says that this baseball is special, though, because it's from a game in which Babe hit three home runs. It was a ball hit at a home game in Yankee Stadium, and apparently Sammy's great uncle was at the game, and he was sitting almost alone in the bleachers when Babe was at bat in the bottom of the ninth when the Yanks were up 5-2. He swung and missed at the first two pitches, so he was down 0-2, but then on the third swing, he sent the ball flying towards Sammy's great uncle, and he (laughs) caught it, and his great uncle cherished the ball for the rest of his life, but he passed away and left that baseball in his will to Sammy. Chip is feeling like, okay, I should leave. There's no way I'm going to beat a Babe Ruth home run baseball. And Encyclopedia Brown says, not so fast. The ball is fake. So I turn to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown know the ball was fake? I guess I think I know the answer. One must know the ins and outs of baseball. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very baseball specific. Call me Wikipedia Brown because (laughs) I feel like I got this one. (laughs) Well, Call me Thesaurus Brown, because I might be able to <laughs> know synonyms for things, but not so much the ins and outs of, of baseball trivia. So um, yeah. I might have to 
toss this one back, if you will, <laughs> nice. to, oh. to Amir. Yes. I think if he's got it, my guess is he's sliding into home. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, I, I will at least. Four I'm more giving puns you a bonus point. Yeah, I'm giving you the <laughs> bonus point for all of the little little baseball nods there, which does tie the score at six to six. So basically, <laughs> if Amir gets it, he will wow. win. If he does Would not, we're going to the sudden the death yeah. riddle. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I want to hear the riddle either way. Yes. So I'll almost. Give me the credit for getting it, but I still want to hear okay, the riddle. Okay, we can do a, a for fun Sunday like riddle regardless. Break. Sure, 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 sure. I believe the answer is the Yankees were up, so they wouldn't have played a bottom of the ninth because they're at home. When you're up at the bottom of the ninth and you're at home, you don't bat. The game just ends after eight and a half innings. That is correct. You have oh, nailed it. I would never. I would <laughs> never have gotten <laughs> But then you think they bully would be like, oh, sorry, I was the bottom of the eighth. Like the ball is real just because I misremembered one detail. Yeah. Breaking the ball in half. Clearly this is fake because you forgot what inning this was from a 1912 baseball game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, busted. Amir, you have won the episode, but we do have time for a sudden death riddle because why not? Yes. Why, why not? Let it rip. And of course, the sudden death riddle is worth 28 points, <laughs> so it's still anybody's ballgame. The sudden death riddle is worth 3.001 points. <gasps> so, Ross, you're still, not still in it. Still in this amazing. thing. It's always just for one. So, you know, at the very least, you can, you know, do the thing where you kick a field goal at the end and then people who have bet on the game ahead of time are really mad. Maybe you've beat the spread. Uh, so you could still cross crush some hearts here. Mm. Now, let's get that final sudden death riddle just for fun. The sudden death riddle. And we just do, we'll just do uh, audible buzzing in. So just say the word buzz and then I'll pass it over to whoever buzzed in first. What runs all around a backyard yet never moves? Buzz. Buzz from Ross. A fence. Correct. A fence. (laughs) The sudden death riddle is yours. You have now... Close the gap to seven to nine, but unfortunately, this was a not so sudden death, sudden death riddle. He's the Sean McVay of this podcast. <laughs> Another sports reference. <laughs> oh man! Well, that is the end, Amir. You have won nine to seven, meaning you've won some money for the National MS Society. How does it feel yeah. to reign victorious in this Encyclopedia Brown sleuthing? Quite the barn burner of an episode, I will say. Very close. I feel like I had the competitive advantage with the sports things, which helped me out. Finally, being a sports fan was actually useful other than, you know, the wasting of time on a day to day basis. So I'm glad that it finally paid off and we raised four dollars for the National MS Society. It's definitely more than four dollars. I will say that. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, kudos. (laughs) We calculate the number at the end of the season based on how much like ad money and Patreon money comes in. But it will be more sizable than four dollars. I can certainly confirm that. Hell yeah. To the victor Thanks goes all. the spoils. It was a well, well played, and don't count yourself out. Just like amazing deductive reasoning all around, and I just feel happy that I didn't totally embarrass myself. No, look, not at all. I mean, seven to nine, quite respectable. Had a good run. Got that third one. Absolutely nailed it. Like every hey. single element of it. Ride that high. And it was a nice trip down memory lane, going back to Idaville, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. seeing all my all my friends and enemies, bugs. Encyclopedia and the gang. The others. Yeah. yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And everyone who's got just the strangest name possible. But good time here solving mysteries. Thank you both so much for joining. I really do appreciate it. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, in person, anything else you got going on, why don't you let the people know where they can find you? If they were like, hey, I liked that person. I want to see him doing stuff. Um, (gasps) (gasps) 
Uh, you can check out HeadGum, our podcast network. There's a podcast for everybody. I'm not on all the podcasts, but they're still funny despite my absence, if you can believe it. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yes, a fine family of products. And um, I pop up all over the dang place. Um, check out dropout.tv. Check out the most recent season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 at thegizmoplex.com. And if you want to find out more about me, just go to Instagram at RossBB. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And it was just a joy. What better way to spend an afternoon or whatever time of day you're listening to this podcast in your life with your friends from Idaville and a couple of good old meddling adults. Round four. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by me, Mike Schubert. It is also produced and edited by Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. I already mentioned earlier in the mid-roll break, if you want to support our charitable efforts, you can do so by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash meddlingadults or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. You also can just spread the show because every download also helps raise money for charity because of the ads that go towards charity, but you can also support the show by going to meddlingadults.com slash merch. We have two items there. We have an Idaville baseball tee in the style of a shirt that Sally Kimball wore in an original illustration from one of the original runs of Encyclopedia Brown. And we also have a digital item. We have a replay of a live show we did in New York a while back where Johnny and Kelly did a head-to-head battle with different detectives all in the mix, and it was really fun. There was a multicam setup. It's a really high quality stream. You can get both of those items at meddlingadults.com slash merch. And of course, all the proceeds go to charity as well. Make sure you are subscribed to Meddling Adults wherever you get your podcasts because our next episode is fantastic. It is a battle between two folks from Wooden Overcoats, a great podcast. David K. Barnes and Beth Ayer will be duking it out to solve some Scooby-Doo mysteries. It's a very fun episode and you won't want to miss it. So make sure you tune in next Wednesday for episode six of season four of Meddling adults.